Good morning, and welcome to the Backyard Edition of the Palcast. Today I am Palcasting to you from a lovely Midwestern backyard on a lovely Midwestern spring morning. Just to remind you, my name is Peter Lipson. I'm an internist in the Midwestern United States, and I blog at scienceblogs.com slash whitecoatunderground. But let me just give you a look around my backyard today. Right now I can hear the breeze coming through my Austrian pine. Uh, my Austrian pine is not the healthiest tree in the world. I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but I sure love the sound of the wind in it. That plus my neighbor's hemlock tree gives us just a beautiful, quiet roar. Scythia looks absolutely spectacular, and there's some sort of white flower overhanging it. I have no clue what that is. The lilacs I planted a few years ago in a hedgerow are leafing out beautifully. And right in front of me are my oak leaf hydrangeas, which are not leafing out yet. And underneath them are some pungently fragrant hyacinth and something purple. Oh, and a bumblebee just flew by. Love those, much better than the yellow jackets, which are going to come out in another week or two. And of course, you can hear the cardinals and the robins and the little brown jobbies who are singing all around. But none of that is really relevant to today's topics. There seems to be this sense out there that alternative medicine is very, very popular. In fact, a, a recent study showed that some outrageous percentage of Americans use alternative medicine. When you analyze the study a little more closely, you find that you know, alternative medicine was defined as just about everything, including vitamins. The actual numbers for things that any reasonable person would consider alternative are, are actually quite low. I would say surprisingly low. But still, a decent percentage of Americans try various forms of alternative medicine every year. And most people who try out various forms of alternative medicine aren't doing it through some sort of ideologically driven need to prove something, but to try to feel better. Now, hopefully, they're seeking this care for reasonably self-limited conditions. Uh, for example, if a patient comes to see me for typical low back pain, or if a patient goes to see a homeopath or a chiropractor for the same problem, it's still going to get better in, you know, one to two months, because that's what back pain does. But why do people seek out alternative medicine and alternative medicine practitioners? Well, as we stated before, the same reason they seek out any type of doctor, and that's because they are in pain. But there's a perception out there, and it's unclear how widely held it really is, that real doctors are not great listeners, don't spend enough time with the patient, and are somehow inattentive to the psychological and spiritual needs of their patients. And like all stereotypes, there's probably some truth underlying this one. How much truth there is really, really unclear. From my limited experience in my own practice, I know that you know, most of my patients are satisfied with the comprehensive care I give them. And certainly there are some who are not. And to complicate things more, there's some patients who are satisfied on some days and not satisfied on other days. Part of the question goes to what is the role of a primary care physician? Aside from providing basic preventative and treatment services for people, should we also be providing uh, what one would call spiritual care? Well, you know, we do to a certain extent. If I diagnose somebody with a serious disease, 
we spend a lot of time just chatting and we spend a lot of time just giving the patient basic psychological support but I think some people are looking for even more than that and if they're looking for that in a physician I think they may be looking in the wrong place not because we're incompetent to provide it although maybe we are but because it's also not our role we are not trained and I think quite properly so in the quote spiritual now some of this is maybe confounding spiritual and psychological and that's unavoidable we probably could use a lot more training in how to care for people's psychological health and well-being because I think a lot of the time we rely on people's own altruistic instincts and that doesn't always go far enough but the question I have is if we as physicians don't provide it to whom should patients go for this type of care and comfort well some of my own ideas include their clergy their family and other social support networks but what it doesn't include is purveyors of alternative and invalidated medicine since what they're really looking for is psychological and spiritual uh, pardon me spiritual support perhaps they should be seeking that out specifically and not so-called alternative medicine as a side note that one cardinal starting to bug the crap out of me and I think he needs to get laid already and if these paper wasps get any crankier I may have to move inside Ooh, I love the Midwest anyway what many quote alternative practitioners unquote seem to provide that attracts patients is this extra dimension this spiritual dimension of care unfortunately they often abandon the scientific and medical dimension in the process I think we need a better model one in which either primary care physicians provide more spiritual care or they more effectively refer people out for this type of comfort because when patients are feeling forced to seek out alternative medicine practitioners they're losing on both fronts they may not get adequate spiritual care from these people who often are in it just for a buck and they will almost certainly not get appropriate medical care you see I have this little girl she's about well, almost five years old and she kinda knows what doctors are for surprisingly or not since she comes to work with me fairly often she knows that when you're sick you go to the doctor and when you're sad you go to mom and dad and I think that's the model we have to try to develop now over at my blog the white coat underground uh, I've had a real fun time lately uh, just teasing out some of what these alternative practitioners are up to I recently had a so-called challenge where I asked people who pra practice naturopathy to come by and explain how they would perform basic primary care functions uh, one thing that was clear to see is that they were all apparently very well-meaning and caring people uh, many of them also had some basic science education as part of their naturopathic training what they didn't seem to have a lot of is clinical medicine training they had learned biochemistry and learned anatomy learned physiology but what they hadn't learned was the applied versions of these sciences instead they used the basic sciences knowledge to more or less make things up I found this very sad because many of the people who commented on the blog were very compassionate and very intelligent and very miseducated uh, most of them would have made fine physicians 
Now, one of the uh, complaints I see on my blog fairly often is that this position of mine, which isn't really just mine, that medicine should be practiced by people trained in, you know, medicine, it's an arrogant and exclusionary position. And, and I certainly won't argue with the latter, and I might not entirely argue with the former. But there's a reason that we have professionals to practice professions, and that these professionals are not arbitrarily designated as such. Uh, the reason for this is that we're dealing with people's lives here. And when dealing with other people's lives, we shouldn't just guess, no matter how smart that guess sounds. Now, there's this uh, sort of a canard of sorts that circulates about, well, very little of what real doctors do is evidence-based anyway. And to a certain extent, that's true. Uh, there are plenty of practices which lack sufficient evidence. Uh, we use our best informed scientific and medical opinion to come up with these practices, but we're always looking for ways to study them more. And much of what we do is, even when not evidence-based, at least science-based. Uh, and if you're looking for an alternative to not having enough evidence behind your practice, I would say that the best alternative is to look for more evidence. And that's what medicine does, is we look at the art practices, and when we lack sufficient evidence, we try to develop it, and if our practice is proved to be incorrect, we abandon it. That's one alternative. The other alternative is to say, well, mainstream medicine doesn't have all the answers, and a lot of what they do might not have sufficient evidence, so we're just going to find another way to go about it. If they can guess, we can guess too, except that our guesses aren't really guesses. We do have quite a bit of evidence, and we, when we don't, we base our guesses on science. What alternative practitioners tend to do is make up stuff that sounds nice. And, you know, before I explain that a little more, I'll give you another update on real life. It's still gorgeous out. The wasps haven't attacked me yet. The cardinal still is going at it. And uh, last night I did something kind of, well, evil. You see, I came home from work at whatever time it was, and there was a half of a chocolate babka sitting on the counter. Now, you know, maybe a good husband would, you know, just ignore that. But, of course, I walked straight to the babka and ate it. So this morning I went to the bakery and purchased another babka and brought it to my wife. And that's just one of the wonderful services I provide in this household to try to make up for all the other things I do. Anyway, back to alternative medicine, so-called. Uh, and let me try to separate something out here before I go on. As I said, many of the commenters on my blog seem to be very well-meaning and altruistic, and I'd like to separate them out from the charlatans. There are plenty of people out there who are out to make a buck on alternative medicine. Uh, some of the most famous ones you see on TV every day or on the Internet every day trying to sell the latest colon cleanse or do the latest uh, scans that don't actually mean anything, and they always want cash on the barrel. No, I, I really am concerned more about the honest and altruistic practitioners out there who are looking for ways to help people and have sort of lost their way. Now, I, I think it's a lot to expect, for example, a naturopath to give up everything they've devoted the last 20 years to and admit that 
what they're doing doesn't have a lot of basis and evidence because people don't usually change that way. So I suppose what we're looking to is the future. How to get some of these people who are smart and altruistic and get them into a real medical field. And we've got a, our work cut out for us because, you see, a lot of these alternative practitioners are going into our medical schools at our invitation and talking about their arts. And our medical students are not getting similar presentations about how to critically evaluate these alternative practices. Yes, we give them some classwork on medical statistics, but we don't specifically look at how to critically evaluate new and unusual practices. Now some of us are hoping to change that. Uh, I'm working on, slowly, putting together a presentation for my medical residents and my medical staff. And many of the bloggers from sciencebasedmedicine.com are going to be at the amazing meeting at the beginning of July uh, talking to other medical professionals. But many times we end up preaching to the converted. So we've got to get to our medical students when they're in their first and second year. And this can involve just some very basic education, just education in some of the facts such as uh, dispelling the fallacy of appeal to authority or appeal to tradition. That is, just because something is ancient does not make it good. In fact, most things that are ancient aren't particularly good. Also, looking at the whole idea of plausibility, before we can consider implementing a medical intervention on real people, we should evaluate whether or not it's even plausible. In other words, would accepting this new practice require us to basically overturn all of our knowledge of chemistry and physics as something like, say, homeopathy would? And after teaching them a bit about the idea of plausibility, to teach them about evaluating the totality of evidence. So, for example, we have a great deal of useful clinical evidence on how to treat diabetics. And as I saw from my recent posts on the blog, the naturopathic community has a different way of approaching this. Unfortunately, this way is not exactly based on evidence and seems to be a bit chaotic as well. Whereas I take a very systematic approach based on evidence, uh, they tend to take this other approach, one that is, quote, more naturalistic. And, and I got to say, there are certain things I like about it. I do like the emphasis on lifestyle change. Unfortunately, I think this approach sometimes turns, well, frankly, it turns punitive. And abandoning the uh, medical education shtick for a second here, this uh, punitive approach is rather disturbing. And it's not like physicians don't off, don't always uh, have a punitive uh, mindset. Uh, I often get very angry in my own mind at my smoking patients as I watch them destroy their health. But I also, on another level, know that smoking is an addiction and that most of these people are not choosing to harm themselves and would quit in a second if they weren't, you know, addicted. Uh, the same is true for many of my type 2 diabetics. Many of them, but not all of them, would benefit greatly from dietary changes. The attitude among the naturopathic and other alternative medicine communities appears to be that dietary changes are pretty much the way to go no matter what. 
Now, aside from the fact that they're lumping too many different diabetics together, let's just look at the group of diabetics in, in whom lifestyle interventions really could make a difference. What does it mean to them to hear, well, you must follow my diet, and if you don't succeed, then dot, dot, dot. Now, in my practice, the dot, dot, dot says, well, then we will have to start you on medication to control your illness. Because I practice primary care medicine, and this is a full-service profession. I don't only treat the patients who are willing to do what I say. I treat everybody because they're human beings. Human beings are full of flaws. If my obese diabetic patient doesn't lose weight, I don't look at them and say, you failed to properly follow my regimen. I may look at them and say, okay, well, we have a problem here. You haven't been able to lose weight, and we can keep working on it. But meanwhile, it's time to start treating your underlying illness before we run into some serious complications. Now, part of that treatment does not involve unproven therapeutic interventions. So, as some of my, say, naturopathic commenters put out, they, they stated that if they needed to use interventions, they may use some medications, but they're also likely to use various herbs and homeopathic remedies, which to me says they're really missing something here. We've studied this disease for a hundred years. We know a lot about this disease. And one thing we do know is that there are no special herbs that effectively treat diabetes. There are no homeopathic remedies, read water, that treats diabetes. And yes, there are medications that do, and yes, some of these medications have varying toxicities, but in our extensive studies, these toxicities, minimal or maximal or a lot or a little, these toxicities are almost always outweighed by the benefit, or else we wouldn't use them. Now, from time to time, we may discover that some of our treatments are not as good as we thought they were. And in that case, what we tend to do is abandon them, or at the very least, modify them to a more evidence and science-based practice based on changing evidence. So, for example, a class of diabetic medications known as the TZDs, which includes Avandianactose, was once very widely used, often as first-line treatment in diabetes. Unfortunately, this is a very expensive set of medications, and in fact, it's not safe for all diabetics. There's a fairly decent-sized subset of diabetics uh, who have serious heart disease in whom these medications are not a terrific choice. And in fact, some of the studies have shown this, and the use of these medications has changed significantly. Now, many in the alternative medicine crowd will talk quite rightly about deceptive studies that have been done surrounding these drugs and drug company cover-ups. But all that aside, ultimately the truth comes out and has come out and practice has changed. My question to the alternative medicine folks is, what level of evidence would it take you to abandon a practice that isn't working? The answer we often get is, well, our evidence is different than your evidence. You see, we base treatments on individuals, and it's very eclectic, and it's very And I'm sorry if that sounds derisive, but that is frankly bullshit. If you are claiming that your treatments have an effect on people, there's a way to measure it. Don't say that your science isn't good enough. My science is plenty good. 
So my call to the well-meaning alternative medicine practitioners out there is, show me the evidence. Show me that you're willing to abandon practices that do not work. Show me that you're willing to use scientific and statistical methods to honestly evaluate your methodology. Show me that you're willing to look at the totality of evidence and not to cherry-pick studies that support your practices. In other words, be intellectually honest. Use some of that altruism you have and think about, what am I doing to my patients? Am I really serving them as well as I can be? Am I really evaluating evidence honestly, or am I just doing things that sound good and that make the patients feel good to hear about them, even though they might not actually heal the patient? Because really, compassion means not only lending an ear, it also means not lying and deceiving. It means using your full intellectual and educational capabilities to deliver the best care possible to people who hurt. If you can't do that, you need to find another job. And boy, did I just keep talking today. So, I think it's time to call it quits and to say I hope you all are having as beautiful an afternoon as I am and enjoying the spring weather. Remember, you can find me at the White Coat Underground, at scienceblogs.com slash whitecoatunderground, and occasionally at sciencebasedmedicine.com. That is all.